Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 175 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Chapter 10. Arguments for Justification by the Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ The first argument from the nature and use of our own personal righteousness. Arguments for Justification by the Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ Our own personal righteousness, not that on the account whereof we are justified in the sight of God, disclaimed in the Scriptures, as to any such end. The truth and reality of it granted. Manifold imperfections accompanying it, rendering it unmeet to be a righteousness unto the justification of life. Roman numeral number 3. There is a justification of convinced sinners on their believing. Hereon are their sins pardoned, their persons accepted with God, and a right is given unto them unto the heavenly inheritance. This state they are immediately taken into upon their faith or believing in Jesus Christ, and a state it is of actual peace with God. These things at present I take for granted, and they are the foundation of all that I shall plead in the present argument. And I do take notice of them, because some seem, to the best of my understanding, to deny any real actual justification of sinners on their believing in this life. For they make justification to be only a general conditional sentence declared in the gospel, which, as unto its execution, is delayed unto the day of judgment. For whilst men are in this world, the whole condition of it being not fulfilled, they cannot be partakers of it, or be actually and absolutely justified. Hereon it follows, that indeed there is no real state of assured rest and peace with God by Jesus Christ for any persons in this life. This at present I shall not dispute about, because it seems to me to overthrow the whole gospel.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the comfort of believers, about which, I hope, we are not as yet called to contend. Our inquiry is, how convinced sinners do on their believing obtain the remission of sins, acceptance with God, and a right unto eternal life? And if this can no other way be done but by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto them, then thereby alone are they justified in the sight of God. And this assertion proceeds on a supposition that there is a righteousness required unto the justification of any person whatever. For whereas God, in the justification of any person, does declare him to be acquitted from all crimes laid unto his charges, and to stand as righteous in his sight, it must be on the consideration of a righteousness whereon any man is so acquitted and declared. For the judgment of God is according unto truth. This we have sufficiently evidenced before in that judicial procedure wherein the scripture represents unto us the justification of a believing sinner. And if there be not other righteousness whereby we may be thus justified, but only that of Christ imputed unto us, then thereby must we be justified, or not at all. And if there be any other such righteousness, it must be our own, inherent in us, and wrought out by us. For these two kinds, inerrant and imputed righteousness, our own and Christ, divide the whole nature of righteousness as to the end inquired after, and that there is no such inerrant righteousness, no such righteousness of our own, whereby we may be justified before God, I shall prove in the first place. I shall do it first from express testimonies of Scripture, and then from the consideration of the thing itself. And two things I shall premise hereunto. Number one, that I shall not consider this righteousness of our own absolutely in itself, but as it may be conceived to be improved and advanced by its relation unto the satisfaction and merit of Christ. For many will grant that our inerrant righteousness is not of itself sufficient to justify us in the sight of God, but take it as it has value and worth communicated unto it from the merit of Christ. And so it is accepted unto that end and judged worthy of eternal life. We could not merit life and salvation had not Christ merited that grace for us whereby we may do so, and merited also that our works should be of such a dignity with respect unto reward. We shall, therefore, allow what worth can be reasonably thought to be communicated unto this righteousness from its respect unto the merit of Christ. Number two, whereas persons of all sorts and parties do take various ways in the assignation of an interest in our justification unto our own righteousness, so as that no parties are agreed about it, nor many of the same mind among themselves, as might easily be manifested in the Papists, Socinians, and others. I shall, so far as it is possible in the ensuing arguments, have respect unto them all, for my design is to prove that it has no such interest in our justification before God, as that the righteousness of Christ should be esteemed the only righteousness whereon we are justified. And first, we shall proceed some of those many testimonies which may be pleaded unto this purpose. Psalms 130, verses 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, 
shouldest mark iniquities. O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. There is an inquiry included in these words, how a man, how any man, may be justified before God, how he may stand, that is, in the presence of God, and be accepted with Him, how he shall stand in judgment, as it is explained, Psalms 1, verse 5, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, shall not be acquitted on their trial, that which first offers itself unto this end is his own obedience, for this the law requires of him in the first place, and this his own conscience calls upon him for. But the psalmist plainly declares that no man can thence manage a plea for his justification with any success. And the reason is because, notwithstanding the best of the obedience of the best of men, there are iniquities found with them against the Lord their God. If men come to their trial before God, whether they shall be justified or condemned, these also must be heard and taken into account. But then, no man can stand, no man can be justified, as it was elsewhere expressed. Wherefore, the wisest and safest course is, as unto our justification before God, utterly to forego this plea, and not to insist on our own obedience, lest our sins should appear also, and be heard. No reason can any man give on his own account why they should not be so. And if they be so, the best of men will be cast in their trial, as the psalmist declared. Two things are required in this trial, that a sinner may stand. Number one, that his iniquities be not observed. For if they be so, he is lost forever. Number two, that a righteousness be produced and pleaded that will endure the trial. For justification is upon a justifying righteousness. But the first of these, the psalmist tells us, it must be through pardon or forgiveness. But there is forgiveness with thee, wherein lies our only relief against the condemnatory sentence of the law with respect unto our iniquities, that is, through the blood of Christ. For in Him we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. The other cannot be our own obedience because of our own iniquities. Wherefore, this, the psalmist directs us unto Psalms 71 verse 16. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, of thine only. The righteousness of God and not his own, yea, in opposition unto his own, is the only plea that in this case he would insist upon. If no man can stand a trial before God upon his own obedience, so as to be justified before him because of his own personal iniquities, and if our only plea in that case be the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God only, and not our own, then is there no personal inerrant righteousness in any believers whereon they may be justified, which is that which is to be proved. The same is asserted again by the same person, that more plainly and directly, Psalms 143 verse 2, 
Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. This testimony is the more to be considered, because as it is derived from the law, Exodus chapter 34 verse 7, so it is transferred into the gospel and twice urged by the apostle unto the same purpose. Romans chapter 3 verse 20, Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. The person who insists on this plea with God professes himself to be his servant. Enter not into judgment with thy servant. That is, one that loved him, feared him, yielded all sincere obedience. He was not a hypocrite, not an unbeliever, not an unregenerated person who had performed no works but such as were legal, such as the law required, and such as were done in the strength of the law only. Such works as all will acknowledge to be excluded from our justification, and which, as many judge, are only those which are so excluded. David it was, who was not only converted, but a true believer, had the Spirit of God and the aids of special grace in his obedience, but had this testimony unto his sincerity, that he was a man after God's own heart. And this witness had he in his own conscience of his integrity, uprightness, and personal righteousness, so as that he frequently avows them, appeals unto God concerning the truth of them, and pleads them as a ground of judgment between him and his adversaries. We have, therefore, a case stated in the instance of a sincere an eminent believer who excelled most in inerrant personal righteousness. This person, under these circumstances, thus testified unto both by God and in his own conscience as unto the sincerity, yea, as unto the eminency of his obedience, considers how he may stand before God and be justified in his sight. Why does he not now plead his own merits? And that, if not ex condigno, yet at least ex congruo, he deserved to be acquitted and justified? But he left this plea for that generation of men that were to come after, who would justify themselves and despise others. But suppose he had no such confidence in the merit of his works as some have now attained unto. Yet why does he not freely enter into judgment with God? Put it unto the trial whether he should be justified or no by pleading that he had fulfilled the condition of the new covenant, that everlasting covenant which God made with him, ordered in all things and sure. For upon a supposition of the procurement of that covenant and the terms of it by Christ, for I suppose the virtues of that purchase he made of it is allowed to extend unto the Old Testament. This was all that was required of him. Is it not to be feared that he was one of them who see no necessity or leave none of personal holiness and righteousness, seeing he makes no mention of it? Now it should stand him in the greatest stead. At least he might plead his faith as his own duty and work to be imputed unto him for righteousness. But whatever the reason be, he waves them all and absolutely depreciates the trial upon them. Come not, he says, O Lord, into judgment with thy servant, as it is promised, 
that he who believes should not come into judgment. John chapter 5 verse 24. And if this holy person renounced the whole consideration of his personal inerrant righteousness in every kind, it will not insist upon it under any pretense, in any place, as unto any use in his justification before God. We may safely conclude there is no such righteousness in any whereby they may be justified. And if men would but leave those shades and coverts under which they hide themselves in their disputations, if they would forego those pretenses and distinctions wherewith they delude themselves and others, and tell us plainly what plea they dare make in the presence of God for their own righteousness and obedience, that they may be justified before Him, we should better understand their minds than now we do. There is one, I confess, who speaks with some confidence unto this purpose, and that is Vasquez, the Jesuit. Not English words. Is it not sad that David should discover so much ignorance of the worth of his inerrant righteousness, and discover so much pusillanimity with respect unto his trial before God, whereas God himself could not otherwise order it, but that he was and must be worthy of eternal blessedness? The reason the psalmist gives why he will not put it unto trial, whether he should be acquitted or justified upon his own obedience, is this general axiom. For in thy sight, or before thee, shall no man living be justified. This must be spoken absolutely or with respect unto some one way or cause of justification. If it be spoken absolutely, then this work ceases forever, and there is indeed no such thing as justification before God. But this is contrary unto the whole scripture, and destructive of the gospel. Wherefore, it is spoken with respect unto our own obedience and works. He does not pray absolutely that he would not enter into judgment with him, for this were to forego his government of the world, but that he would not do so on account of his own duties and obedience. But if so, be these duties and obedience did answer, in any sense away, what is required of us as a righteousness unto justification, there was no reason why he should depreciate a trial by them upon them. But whereas the Holy Ghost does so positively affirm that no man living shall be justified in the sight of God by or upon his own works or obedience, it is, I confess, marvelous unto me that some should so interpret the Apostle James as if he affirmed the express contrary, namely, that we are justified in the sight of God by our own works. Whereas indeed he says no such thing. This, therefore is an eternal rule of truth. By or upon his own obedience, no man living can be justified in the sight of God. It will be said that if God enter into judgment with any on their own obedience by and according to the law, then indeed none can be justified before him. But God judging according to the gospel in the terms of the new covenant Men may be justified upon their own duties, works, and obedience. Answer, parenthesis number one. The negative assertion is general and unlimited. 
that no man living shall, on his own works or obedience, be justified in the sight of God. And to limit it unto this or that way of judging is not to distinguish, but to contradict the Holy Ghost. Parenthesis number two. The judgment intended is only with respect unto justification, as is plain in the words. But there is no judgment on our own works or obedience with respect unto righteousness and justification, but by the proper rule and measure of them, which is the law. If they will not endure the trial by the law, they will endure no trial, as unto righteousness and justification in the sight of God. Parentheses number three. The prayer and plea of the psalmist on this supposition are to this purpose. O Lord, enter not into judgment with thy servant, by or according unto the law, but enter into judgment with me on my own works and obedience according to the rule of the gospel, for which he gives this reason, because in thy sight shall no man living be justified, which how remote it is from his intention need not be declared. Parentheses number four. The judgment of God unto justification according to the gospel does not proceed on our works of obedience, but upon the righteousness of Christ and our interest therein by faith, as is too evident to be modestly denied. Notwithstanding this exception, therefore, hence we argue, if the most holy servant of God in and after a course of sincere, fruitful obedience testified unto by God himself and witnessed in their own consciences, that is, whilst they have the greatest evidences of their own sincerity, and that indeed they are the servants of God, do renounce all thoughts of such a righteousness thereby, as whereon in any sense they may be justified before God, then there is no such righteousness in any, but it is the righteousness of Christ alone imputed unto us, whereon we are so justified. But that so they do, and ought all of them so to do, because of the general rule here laid down, that in the sight of God no man living shall be justified, is plainly affirmed in this testimony. I no way doubt, but that many learned men, after their pleas for an interest, of personal righteousness and works in our justification before God do as unto their own practice betake themselves unto this method of the psalmist and cry as the prophet Daniel does in the name of the church we do not present our supplications before thee for our own righteousness but for thy great mercies chapter 9 verse 18 and therefore Job as we have formerly observed, after a long and earnest defense of his own faith, integrity, and personal righteousness, wherein he justified himself against the charge of Satan and men, being called to plead his cause in the sight of God, and declare on what grounds he expected to be justified before him, renounces all his former pleas, and betakes himself unto the same with the psalmist. Chapter 40, verse 4. Chapter 42, verse 6. It is true, in particular cases, as unto some special ends in the providence of God, a man may plead his own integrity and obedience before God himself, 
so did Hezekiah when he prayed for the sparing of his life. Isaiah chapter 38 verse 3. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth, and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. This, I say, may be done with respect unto temporal deliverance, or any other particular end wherein the glory of God is concerned. So was it greatly in sparing the life of Hezekiah at that time. For whereas he had with great zeal and industry reformed religion and restored the true worship of God, the cutting him off in the midst of his days would have occasioned the idolatrous multitude to have reflected on him as one dying under a token of divine displeasure. But none ever made this plea before God for the absolute justification of their persons. So Nehemiah, in that great contest which he had about the worship of God and the service of his house, pleads the remembrance of it before God in his justification against his adversaries, but resolves his own personal acceptance with God unto pardoning mercy, and spare me according to the multitude of thy mercies. Chapter 13, verse 22. Another testimony we have unto the same purpose in the prophet Isaiah, speaking in the name of the church. Chapter 64, verse 6. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It is true the prophet does in this place take a deep confession of the sins of the people, but... Yet withal he joins himself with them and asserts the especial interest of those concerning whom he speaks by adoption that God was their father and they his people. Chapter 53, verse 16. Chapter 54, verses 8 and 9. And the righteousness of all that are the children of God are of the same kind, however they may differ in degrees, and some of them may be more righteous than others. But it is all of it described to be such as that we cannot, I think, justly expect justification in the sight of God upon the account of it. But whereas the consideration of the nature of our inerrant righteousness belongs unto the second way of the confirmation of our present argument, I shall not further here insist upon this testimony. Many others also, unto the same purpose, I shall wholly emit, Namely, all those wherein the saints of God or the church in a humble acknowledgement and confession of their own sins do betake themselves unto the mercy and grace of God alone as dispensed through the mediation and blood of Christ. And all those wherein God promises to pardon and blot out our iniquities for His own sake, for His name's sake, to bless the people, not for any good that was in them, nor for their righteousness, nor for their works, the consideration whereof he excludes from having any influence into any acting of his grace towards them, and all those wherein God expresses his delight in them alone, and his approbation of them, who hope in his mercy, trust in his name, betaking themselves unto him as their only refuge, pronouncing them accursed who trust in anything else, or glory in themselves, such as contain singular promises unto them that betake themselves unto God as fatherless, hopeless, and lost in themselves.
There is none of the testimonies which are multiplied unto this purpose, but they sufficiently prove that the best of God's saints have not a righteousness of their own whereon they can in any sense be justified before God. For they do all of them in the places referred unto renounce any such righteousness of their own, all that is in them, all that they have done or can do, and betake themselves unto grace and mercy alone. And whereas, as we have before proved, God, in the justification of any, does exercise grace towards them with respect unto a righteousness whereon he declares them righteous and accepted before him. They do all of them respect a righteousness which is not inerrant in us, but imputed to us. Herein lies the substance of all that we inquire into in this matter of justification. All other disputes about qualifications, conditions, causes, on you, hon, uk, any kind of interest for our own works and obedience in our justification before God are but the speculations of men at ease. The conscience of a convinced sinner who presents himself in the presence of God finds all practically reduced unto this one point, namely, whether he will trust unto his own personal inerrant righteousness or, in a full renunciation of it, betake himself unto the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ alone. In other things, he is not concerned. And let men phrase his own righteousness unto him as they please. Let them pretend it meritorious, or only evangelical, not legal, only an accomplishment of the condition of the new covenant, a cause without which he cannot be justified. It will not be easy to frame his mind unto any confidence in it, as unto justification before God, so as not to deceive him in the issue. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton AB Canada T 6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. 
Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc. that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.